0: As you find your seats, you'll turn me to Matthew chapter 1, and then also, maybe you want to throw a bulletin in 2 Samuel 11. We're also going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, or uh, 1 Kings 1 this morning. All right, if any of you all ever had identity theft, identity theft, I'm the only one? Maybe a couple of y'all? You know that they have said, actually, I haven't had it either, but I had to have, someone had to have their hand up. We are true Presbyterians. We don't raise our hands. Even when you get a question, it's me. Nine million Americans every year have identity theft. Uh, someone uh, has stolen their identity, uh, stolen their information, using it as if it was their own. Nine million a year. And I didn't know they had certain terms for different types of identity theft. They are uh, called dumpster diving. For those who uh, go through our trash, uh, maybe even go to a dumpster and try to dig out some pertinent information, find credit card numbers, find social security numbers, there are folks uh, called those who do dumpster diving. Also, there's something called skimming. Uh, Apparently, there's some storage devices uh, that are used when you process your uh, credit card or when you process a credit card. uh, Somehow they're able to store those and gather your information. There's something called phishing. Uh, They spell it P-H-I-S-I-N-G. It's basically uh, the folks who call you or try to get a hold of you pretending to be a financial institution, Uh, To milk out of you some information that you'll be able to tell them uh, who you are, uh, some of your important stuff, so they could actually steal your identity. No matter what they call it these days, and no matter how they do it, it's just old-fashioned theft. It's just stealing. Well, this morning, we're going to uh, call our attention to the last person, the last lady, in Jesus' genealogy. Now, she's not the last chronologically listed we jump right to Mary on Christmas Eve. I mean, I actually thought for a while I was going to do Bathsheba on Christmas Eve. That's how dumb I am, all right? But sense finally hit me. I said, there's no way I'm doing Bathsheba on Christmas Eve. We went to Mary, and I think it worked out a lot better. But, so now we're, we're here, and we're going to look at Bathsheba's story. And it's an amazing story. Because Bathsheba was a victim of identity theft. And it wasn't just by some thug. It wasn't by some dumpster diver, somebody skimming or fishing. Bathsheba lost her identity to a king. A king that was supposed to protect her. A king that was supposed to love her. A king that they would talk about as a warrior. A king that they would sing about who had a heart for God. And yet, in Jesus' genealogy... It's not even listed by her name. She is only referred to as Uriah's wife. Bathsheba truly did have her identity stolen. And I love the fact that in Jesus' list to us in genealogy, he doesn't try to clean up the story. God wants us to know that David, King David, the one that we look up to, but we realize he's broken, there's got to be one better who's coming, has sinned. And he's stolen Uriah's wife. And God's word doesn't gloss over his sin. And I love the reality of this too. Nor do we see that God's sin against her or David's sin disqualifies them from God using them mightily. God continued to use King David, although this was an incredible tragic event in his life. And God certainly used Bathsheba you're here this morning and you've committed some great sins in your life, maybe no one else knows about them. Maybe they'll never be as public as David's. But God could still use you, still love you deeply. If you're here this morning and you have a Bathsheba story where someone sinned against you greatly, there's really good news. God loves you. God could heal you. And God wants to use you greatly. It was Bathsheba that David promised that a son would come from her. And that unbelievably, out of this twisted, broken story, that her son would someday sit on the incredible throne of David. And that is the line of a messianic king that would be coming named Jesus. So let's start off with the genealogy. If you turn me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, this is where we've been all Advent season, looking at this genealogy and then jumping to the stories. Matthew 1, 1 through 6. Again, we had someone who was going to read Bathsheba. She was a lot better looking than me. But we, uh, we did a little switch around, so I'm going to read Bathsheba's story. Is that all right? All right. I'm not going to go into character. I'm just going to read her story. Is that all right? Okay. Let's be mindful that we are reading God's holy, inerrant word. Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, he was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerar, whose mother was, thank you, Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadad. Aminadad, the father of Nashan, Noshin, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was, thank you, Ram. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was, thank you, Ram. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Not even listed by name. God wanted us to know the story. Uriah's wife. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is holy, that it will never lead us astray. And God, we thank you for every story that you give to us in your word There's a reason why it's there. Because every story, Bathsheba's story, each story that we read, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, they all point to Jesus. And they all remind us of our own story of rescue. And Father, as we turn again our attention to Your Word, and as we are finding our way back several pages into the Old Testament, God, I pray that You would do that which only You would do. That You would come with power here this morning to fill this room with Your presence so that the story would come alive. That, God, You'd be pleased to use a broken sinner that desperately needs to be reminded of this story and the rescue of Bathsheba and the rescue that comes through a Savior named Jesus. Oh, Father, Give us the Spirit of Jesus. Open our ears to hear Your voice. Illumine our minds to understand Your Word. Come and remove our hearts of stone and our hearts of disbelief and give us a heart of faith. Father, we pray that as we walk out of here, You'd give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. That this story would inspire us and become part of our story, our story of rescue. God, we pray that all that is said and done would bring you glory and we would receive great joy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, of all the sins that are committed against us, it's those sins that are committed against us by those who should protect us, those who should love us, those who should look out for us are the ones that probably hurt the most. I mean, Bathsheba had a king named David, and really, she should have been safe in his presence. He was a king after God's own heart. But he was selfish. He was lustful. And instead of providing protection, instead of providing love, he robbed her. Robbed her of her identity. Robbed her of her position. Robbed her of her husband. Robbed her of her name and her reputation, King David. Many of you know that pain. Now, it wasn't a king, I bet. It was probably a father. Maybe it was an uncle. Maybe it was a doctor. Maybe it was a pastor. It just breaks my heart, with this congregation this size, that several of you, not just women, Several of you men have stories of pain. Of those who should have loved you well. Who abused you deeply. And I'm sorry. But there's such good news again. There's the good news of Jesus. That He comes to the broken. And He comes as a King who brings life that doesn't take life. Who gives us His name and doesn't rob us of our name. But that's Bathsheba's story. For us to, to get it, we've got to first realize what was done against Bathsheba. The first thing is this. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll have a, that blank page. It's going to be blank for you. Uh, I didn't get the stuff to the guys to put up on the screen. So you're going to have to really work hard on this message, all right, to follow along. There's three points. The first one is this. Bathsheba had her identity stolen from a king. Let's look at 2nd Samuel chapter 11. And I'm not going to read this story. I'm more than anything going to tell you the story. There's another story we're going to read. And it's a familiar story to probably many of you. It's the Bathsheba story. I mean, this is where we find her in the pages of history. We find this poor woman in, a, woman in a bathtub. That's where we start and find her. I mean, she's taking a bath. And the worst thing she had going against her is she had a bad location because her house happened to be pretty close to the palace where the king hung out. And it was a time when kings usually went off to war in the springtime. King David should have been doing something a whole lot more productive than what he was doing, but he got lazy. He got kind of full of himself. Instead of going off to war, he he sent Joab and the other boys to go off to fight a war, and he just kind of took care of things back at the palace. And one sleepless night, don't know why it was a sleepless night, but he decides to take a stroll out on the uh, roof of the palace. And there he sees a beautiful woman bathing. A subject of his. Someone in his kingdom. And so he sent to find out who is she. And before they even went, they said, oh, 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 that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. Um, She is the daughter of of so-and-so. And by the way, David, she's not yours. And David, being a godly man, really should have stopped in his tracks and realized that his eyes were leading him astray, that his heart was burning with lust. And now his servants were able to say, David, hands off this one. She's not yours. You're to protect her and love her. And matter of fact, her husband is out risking his life for you where you should be. But David's lust got the best of him, like many of us. Sometimes that lust just seems out of control, doesn't it, men? Maybe for us, it's more like pornography. Maybe it's us, it's more of a fantasy of somebody in our office or someone in our neighborhood. There's somebody who's not ours that we just can't stop lusting after. Well, this, God, this king after God's own heart became nothing more than a dirty old man. And even though he was told, hey, hey, put on the brakes here, David, he didn't put the brakes on. Instead, he says, go get her. Go get her. I want her to be mine. They did. And again, Bathsheba's put in a lot of different light. I mean, you sometimes want to say, well, what was she doing bathing at that time? What was she doing bathing inside of the king? I I want you to know, I give her a lot of grace. I I really believe she was minding her own business. I just believe that's what she was doing. I mean, I don't know. Some commentators will say that she was trying to uh, allure him in. I don't believe so. But I do know this. If the king calls, she's coming. If the king of the country's calling, saying the king wants you, Her life's in jeopardy if she says, I'm not going. So she does. And David, this king after God's own heart, becomes an incredible lust-filled man and commits adultery with Bathsheba. I love what Scripture does. Scripture says that she purified herself to make sure that we know that this wasn't anybody else's child, that she had already gone through that process, that now when she conceived, it was clearly David's illegitimate child. That's what Bathsheba's left with. A lot of times an abused woman, that's what they're left with. The leftover is like that. Someone sinning so deeply against him. So David, being a righteous man and a godly man, immediately repents, calls Uriah in, begs for his forgiveness, pleads uh, for his forgiveness, and says, I'll do anything I can to support your child. It's really my child. No, he doesn't do any of that. He brings Uriah back in from fighting and says, basically, why don't you go sleep with your wife? But Uriah is the only noble man in the story. Uriah won't do it. He says, my, the men are out fighting. I'm not going to go out there and Uh, I'm not going to go home to my wife when everybody else is in danger, and he won't do it. So here's what David does: this godly man, a god after man after God's own heart, he gets him drunk. He gets him drunk, so hopefully that a drunken Uriah the Hittite will go and go home and have relations with his wife. But Uriah the Hittite is a drunk, is more righteous than David sober. Isn't that amazing? He won't do it. And so, David sends word back to Joab says, okay, when the fighting gets fierce, you take this Uriah guy and you put him real near the front, and everybody back away and let him die. And this king that has a heart after God not only is an adulterer, he now has become a murderer. And Bathsheba's wife, or Bathsheba's husband's killed. She gets word that her husband's dead. She mourns his loss. I think really showing genuine love for him. And David says, go get her. I'll make her my wife. The child that they had conceived dies. God says it would die. Dies in infancy. And again, their story is going to be such a marred story. I mean, this is this woman, Bathsheba. This is the one who a king robbed her identity. But she had hope. Hope in God's promises that he would provide a king that would be a whole lot better. And amazingly, here's the second point. Bathsheba had her identity stolen from a king. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, you want to go back and and read that story. It's an amazing story. But secondly, Bathsheba was promised a son. And more than that, she was promised a son who would be king. And to that, we're going to f- turn to 1 Kings chapter 1. And I'm going to read the story with you. If you forgot your Bible today, it's not the good morning forget your Bible. Because the words are going to be on the screen. And this is a story they're not going to be on the screen. That you want to hear. So you've got to really, let me just challenge you. If you don't have your Bible, you're going to have to really listen. Okay? Because the majority of my message is going to be reading this story today. And it's an amazing story of how Solomon, Bathsheba's son, is going to be king. Again, we're in God's holy word. So lean in uh, to this incredible story. And again, this is uh, Bathsheba was promised a son who would become king. And this is the story. 1 Kings chapter 1. You're not going to believe it. You haven't heard this. You're not going to believe the story. It's a good one. All right, here we go. When King David was very old, he could not keep warm, even when they put covers on him. So his attendant said to him, let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. Whatever happened to a good down comforter? You kidding me? A good down comforter would have been fine. But no, let's go get a virgin and have her lay next to him. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl. Not just any girl would do. The beautiful girls keep them warmer, apparently. And they found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And by the way, the girl was very Beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him, but the king had no sexual relations with her. All right. You know what this is telling us? It's so amazing what Scripture does. This is telling us that the king is really old, and he's impotent. And I'm telling you, as weird as it sounds, that's what the writer wants us to know. The king can no longer reign. And in a really crass way, he's telling us the king doesn't have it anymore. That's scripture. And I'm sorry, but that's really, that's just earthy, I know. But that's scripture. And the writers who read this originally would say, oh, I get it. The king can't rule anymore. He can't reign anymore. He can't function. Now, Ageniah, verse 5, whose mother was Hagathith. Put himself forward and said... Now here's what happens. Ajaniah, one of David's sons, he put himself forward. And says, I will be king. By the way, anybody who ever puts himself forward to reign and to rule, watch out. Any self-proclaimed king is usually not a good king. We wait to see our leaders anointed by God. And again, we have one, Ajaniah, who's putting himself forward. So we got chariots and horses ready and 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He also was, by the way, very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Side note, David was a lot of great things. We've seen him in a negative light today. He's an adulterer and he's a murderer. And I mean, that's just unbelievable. But God did forgive him. We know that through Psalm 51, Psalm 32. We do know that he repented deeply. But I've got to tell you something else. Dads, you've got to listen up. He was a horrible father. David missed it as a dad. He had a son named Amnon. And Amnon, you're not going to believe this. This is David's son. Amnon raped his sister, also named Tamar, different Tamar. You know what David did about that? Nothing. So Absalom, his other son, took some... Uh, justice in his own hands, and he killed Amnon. Now, keep, keep, keep track of David's story. They lost that son to Bathsheba. That's one. Amnon's killed by Absalom. That's two. Absalom is going to, by the way, he also was really, his Fabio. I mean, he's just really good-looking guy. He was. He was known for his hair. He was. They sold it. It was so thick, they sold it. I'm not kidding you. And it was his hair that became his crown, and he wound up getting hung up in a tree by it. And that's how Joab killed him. Son number three, dead. And this Absalom, I mean, he he basically revolted against his father. His dad was terrible. Why? His dad never disciplined his kids. I mean, King David never disciplined his kids. He never said no. And now you have Adonijah, who's going to go and basically declare himself king, because David does nothing about it. Adjaniah conferred with Joab. Joab was like the military uh, general in David's army. And Joab, by the way, if you have a Bible you want to write down there, write the word snake. Can't stand Joab. I mean, he really, he's he's just a snake. He seems to be loyal, but he's always got his own agenda. Son of Zariah. And with Ababathur, the priest. So he's got a military guy, he's got a priest. And they gave him their support. But Zadok the priest, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet. Remember Nathan the prophet? Shimei and Rhea and David's special guard did not join Adoniah. Adoniah then sacrificed sheep, cattle, fat and calves at a stone near Enroyal. I hate these names. He invited all his brothers, the king's son, all the royal officials of Judah but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaniah, or the special guard, or his brother Solomon. Here's what's happening, folks. There's a coup. Adjaniah is saying, I'm king. I'm going to go get the general. I'm going to go get a priest. And I'm going to get some people next to me, they're all going to run in front of my chariot. We're all going to say, I'm king. Then Nathan asks Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Here she comes again. Have you not heard that Ajaniah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And our Lord David knows nothing about it. Remember, he's old. He can't even keep himself warm. Now then, let me advise you on how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. I mean, listen, this is how earthy this is. There's a change of power here. And most changes of power are not bloodless, what we just did, electing Barack Obama. That's an amazing thing, that we can elect power and not shed blood. And if this Ajaniah was going to be king... Bathsheba knows she's going to die. And so is Solomon. Because they are a threat to his kingdom. So Nathan the prophet says, Go in to King David and say to him, My lord the king, did you not swear to me your servant? Surely Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? While you are still there talking... While you're still there talking to the king, I will come in and add my words to what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag the Shuamite was attending him. How do you think she felt, by the way? Ladies, how would you feel? How would you feel? How'd you go like go see your husband, the king, and his new young thing, trying to keep him warm? Bathsheba bowed down, prostrating herself herself before the king. What is it you want? The king asked. She said to him, My lord, you yourself, this is the second time that this promise is mentioned, swore to me, your servant, by the Lord your God, Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord, the king, do not know about it. He sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves and sheep, and has invited all the king's son, Abathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But he has not invited Solomon, your servant. My lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord the king is laid to rest with his ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. How they usually treat criminals. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived. And the king was told, Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and bowed his face to the ground. This is really weird. You know who Nathan the prophet is? After David was with Bathsheba, it was Nathan the prophet who came to David and told him a story uh, that led him to repentance. That he realized what great sin he's done. It's amazing to me, Scripture. Here you have Bathsheba. Here you have Nathan the prophet all together in God's plan unfolding. Nathan said, Have you, my lord, the king, declared, Adonai shall be king after you, and that he will sit on your throne? Today he has gone down and sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves, and sheep. He's invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army. And basically everybody is there except for Solomon. Zodak, the uh, the priest, did you really make him king after you? Then the king David said, call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king took an oath and said, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me. And he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed down with her face to the ground, prostrating herself before the king and said, May my king David live forever. And the, in the line of that king David, Jesus will live forever. Bathsheba unbelievably came out of obscurity. A poor woman taking a bath that had her identity lost. Yet she was promised that her son Would be king. When I think about Bathsheba, I think that she intimately knew two kings, two incredible kings—one named David and one named Solomon—and she had to look into both of their lives and both of their eyes and see absolute greatness. I mean, David had greatness; he really did. He was an incredible warrior. He he fought Goliath. He was an incredible poet. He was an incredible musician. And I'm sure that she had a deep love for David, but I guarantee she could never get away from this thing. She had to look at him and just see Uriah. She had to look at him just remember the incredible pain. She had to long for another king that was better. And maybe it would be Solomon. And Solomon, what an incredible king he was. I mean, he was so smart. He had more wisdom than anybody else. I mean, he amassed riches like nobody else. But Solomon wasn't it either because Solomon let women take hold of his heart and lead him away from God. And she had a long thinking, there's got to be a better king. There's got to be a king that won't murder the innocent. There's got to be a king who's coming that won't murder the innocent. There's got to be a king that's coming that won't take advantage of the weak. There's got to be a king that is coming that won't rob our identity but will give us an identity in him. You see, that's the Christmas story. The answer is not David. The answer is not Solomon. The answer is yes, Bathsheba, unbelievably, as your story unfolds, you are going to find your way into the messianic line. But the king you long for, the king that you and I need, is the king that will eventually come through Mary, named Jesus. Bathsheba had to long for more. And lastly, Jesus is our King who didn't rob our identity. Ready for this King Jesus? He bore our identity. Jesus is the King who came to bear our identity so we can wear His. And that's the celebration of this Advent season. There is a good King who has come. And this King became and bore our identity so much that He bore our sin. He became our sin. I mean, all the blackness, all the vileness, all the junk that separates us from a holy God, He became that sin on a cross. This is that King. The good King to come. He would bear our identity so we could bear His. He would bear our curse so that we could become righteous. So that we could become blessed. David did have a heart for God. Jesus had God's heart. Solomon had wisdom like no other. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who has true wisdom from God because he is God. That's the Christmas story of the greatest king who ever came. Let me ask you a couple questions as we close. What about your identity right now? What is your identity? If someone was to list your qualities, what would they list? What are you known by and for? I mean, what is truly your identity? For what are you known? I think for several of us, maybe we have several identities. Maybe you have a church identity. Maybe you have an identity that's different at work or in your neighborhood. What's your identity as a student in school? What are you really known for? See, the ultimate question is this. Is Jesus a part of your identity? I mean, is that where you get your identity? Is that where you get your name? Is that where you get your life? We've talked a lot this Advent season about the lineage leading to a Savior named Jesus. But the whole thing for us is, what's the lineage after? Are you part of the family? Have by faith in God's grace, have you come to Him and says, I'm in, I'm in the family by embracing Jesus as Savior? Is that your greatest identity? If it's not, you're missing it. Because Christ has come to give us His name. Christ has come to give us His righteousness. Christ has come to give us His identity so that we are known as Christians, so that we are known as sons of the living God, so that we are known differently and uniquely in this dark world. Is your identity first and foremost found in Christ? If not, don't start 2009. Don't leave here without embracing that incredible family, that incredible gift. What would you like to change about your identity in 2009? I and mean, this is a time of year we all pull out our resolutions. This is a time of year that we all kind of think, okay, what am I going to do different? How many pounds am I going to lose? What am I going to do differently this year? What about for your identity? This time next year, what do you want different about yourself? Where are you going to allow Christ to shine where he's not shining right now? You see, we live like Bathsheba. You know that she had to live her life always longing for more. I mean, she went from obscurity to close to greatness, she was around royalty. But you know that she had to look for more in the face of her son, Solomon, in the face of her husband, David. We live our lives right now in a time where we long for Jesus to come back because there's still a lot of tears. I told you that story about Grayson, this nine-year-old girl up at Shands right now fighting for her life. I hate it, don't you? I mean, I pray all the time for Butch Doyle's grandson, Connor. He's struggling with leukemia. It Just is not right. I hate it, don't you? I mean, so many of you right now are, have empty seats because of loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord. It's painful, isn't it? I mean the reality is, is, is Ken Bradley's really close to home. We've been praying for him. I want to see him on Christmas Day, thinking I saying, praying, Lord Jesus, don't take him on Christmas. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for him to come back. I've shed enough tears. There's been a lot of pain. And there's a lot of joy right now, but the reality is that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves longing for more. Aren't you longing for more? We have all that we need in Christ Jesus, but we don't have them physically yet, face to face. So let's join together and say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. What identity do we want as a church in 2009? How do we want to be known differently? You know, as I've been praying the last several days, I said, God, I don't want to be a church that's a consumer church. I don't want to be a church that it's all about the way we feel. Would you please make us a kingdom church? May we truly love you deeply and love you well. May we long to know you more. May we love one another deeply. May we love one another with integrity and honestly. May we just kind of do away with the surface stuff and dig deep this year. Will you join me? Oh, how I long for Orangewood to be more and more of a spirit-filled, kingdom-seeking church. Doing great things for Jesus, because that's why we're here. Until he comes back, we need one another. Until he comes back, let's continue to look to Christ Jesus, saying, Lord, fill us. Come, let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Let us pray. Father, thanks for Bathsheba's story. What an incredible story. I mean, Lord, it just seems surreal. She went from a bathtub to the throne, she went from being married to Uriah to being married to David because David killed her husband. Becoming a mother and losing a child, she knew that pain. Becoming a mother that she would see their child become king. And yet through the face of her husband, David, through the face of her son, Solomon, you know that she had to long for more. Because neither of them were Jesus. Father, thanks for the genealogy. Thanks for Tamar. Thanks for an incredible woman who believed the promise of a seed. Thank you so much for Rahab who believed in the promise of a land. God, we thank you for Ruth who believed in the promise of a kinsman redeemer. And God, we thank you for Bathsheba who knew of a promise of a coming king. But God, in all those, what we really thank you for is Jesus. Because all that we long for, all that Scripture pointed to has come. And now we long for his return because it still hurts. And we're starting 2009 kind of limping. Would you come? Would you have your kingdom come this year? Jesus, would you have your will be done in this church? Would you give us our identities in Christ Jesus alone? It's in his name we pray. Amen.